The world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve 8 from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layer timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve 8 is available from $995. Current users can download the update for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagic-design.com What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. And in this episode, we're going to be interviewing... Harry Karamitis. Now, Harry's edited lots of films, but he's probably best known for the work of Back to the Future 1, 2, and 3. You'll notice Lauren's not here with me. I've been working hard to get all the NAB recordings out. You'll notice there's about four up, and we're hoping to get a couple more up soon. In the meantime, I've decided I better get this Harry interview out just so people can start to hear it before, especially before EditFest. EditFest is coming up in June. If you haven't got it yet, go to mewshop.com, M-E-W-shop.com, and you can purchase them there. In the meantime, though, if you guys haven't yet, download the Android or iPhone app. Take a moment, go to your computers and download it. We also need people to start rating our podcast as well as our Android and iPhone apps. So if you have a second, can post some some good words and the top ones we'll read online. But in the meantime, enjoy my interview with Harry. In this episode, we focus on his beginnings and and how he got into the industry. Can you tell me how you got started in film editing? I got started in UCLA film school. I went to UCLA film school in 1967 to study ethnographic film. And you know, UCLA has projects uh, one, two, and three in which they you progress through learning, doing your own movies, and in, in beginning to edit my own movies, I found that I had a desire to continue to do that stuff. And then I was studying ethnographic film, and there was an opportunity for me to work with the people from the Canadian Film Board and the old Office of Economic Opportunity in the United States government to work on a project for the OEO, Office of Economic Opportunity, to promote communication between diverse groups, and we worked in two different places over a period of two years. We worked in Farmersville, California. We worked in Hartford, Connecticut. I was taken on as sort of an assistant editor because they wanted to show the dailies to the people in the town where we were working, but that quickly evolved over a period of one or two nights when they decided that they wanted to make a film and show them something more complete than just dailies, and they asked me if I could do it. I did it, and they liked it, and from then on, we made... Within three months, we made 35 movies. I got to edit a varying length from three minutes to 55 minutes long and took them back to Los Angeles, where I worked with a renowned film editor and soon-to-become-mentor, Vern Fields, at her pool house, and where we re-edited and finished all those 35 movies. So that was the beginning of my editing career. When you finished working on those films, did you continue working with Verna Fields? I continued to work in her sphere. You know, she would she would recommend me for a job sometimes. I would work sometimes at her house, sometimes just... And we became fast and fam, fast friends and family friends as well over the years. Uh, and she was a very good mentor to many of us in the, in the film industry. She had, an, she had a nickname of Mother Cutter. Can you give me some insight or explain your process or how you approach a film? 
when you start cutting? How do I approach a film differently on every project? Okay. I look at, usually if I'm working in a documentary film, the material has to, very seldom has uh, any kind of a script of, you know, any great uh, detail. So the, the editing is where the story and if there's a story or whatever you're doing, telling, comes out of. So you kind of absorb all the material in, and you look at it and, and begin to formulate ideas of how you can begin to tell the basic story that the premise of shooting it in the first place was. And then you begin to generate some kind of structure in that way. When you're working on, on uh, films that were uh, for theatrical release, uh, you have well-crafted scripts that have you follow certain directions in the filming, you know, the director follows certain directions in the filming, and when I work on those kinds of projects, I, of course, talk to the director and to the producer. You know, the editor is hired by the director, but the producer pays you, so you, you have kind of divided loyalties. And you begin to put things together, as you know, from the very first day. So the first week of getting to know the director, unless you've worked with him before, is important as you watch dailies together like you used to in the old days. Now everybody gets their own DVD and watches their dailies at home by themselves. There's not as much interaction daily-wise. And you begin to interpret from the script, from your conversations with producers and directors, mostly directors because it's their film until the producer has, you know, until the director has his contractual cut. And you work with them to formulate the best possible way to tell the story that the script has described based also taking into consideration the limitations that have occurred to the director through lack of money, through lack of weather, through lack of good performance, bad performance, all those things come in. So uh, let me step back one, one step and say that when a writer has a concept, he has this grandiose idea of what he wants to write, he puts it on a piece of paper, producer in studio or whoever looks at it and says, Yes, we like the story, and we can or can't do all of those things, and we'll limit them. And then the director, in talking with producers and studios and seeing how much money they have, begin to make limited choices about how they can tell the story with the locations they have, the actors they have, and the weather conditions they have. All of those things come into play. And interpreted and filtered through production designers and uh, directors of photography and all that. So then that that's the second time, and the second rewrite. And the third rewrite is when it comes to the editor, and you get the actuality. You get the pieces of material that they could get, not what the writer imagined and not what the director hoped, but what actually is. And then you begin to make what that's, you tell the story with the material you have. You make the reinterpretation. So what I do is try to give the director what he wants in the best way possible with the material that he was able to develop and give me. That's a long-winded answer, but... No, it was a great answer, and it raised a, a few questions, which is, you mentioned about sitting with the director and going through the rushes and getting a feel of what they're expecting from you, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you do some teaching now. So I'm not so much a teacher as a drop-in master class kind of a guy, you know, just for a day or two, like I'm going to at a Manhattan work, at a workshop twice this this week and uh, this coming week and this next week also, just to be with students and talk to them about what I'm doing, how I do it, and look at their projects and talk to them about those. So, not so much teaching, but yes, so mentoring. Ahead. I guess I guess passing on the the uh, the exactly torch. Exactly right. That's that's what I like to do because people helped me along the way. 
many people helped me along the way, you know, particularly over in the field, but many people helped me on the way. And so I like to hand it out again. But since we've lost that sort of sitting on the with the director during the rushes, what do you tell students or young mentees uh, to do to start to build that relationship and understand the, the director's approach? I don't know. I'm, it's, that's, a, that's a difficulty. It's a difficulty on both ends, on the upper end, not upper being better, but the upper end being the production director, producer, that way, and the lower end of the people who are working for you and you who are hoping to learn things from you, like my assistants. Now, the whole digital age has separated people a lot more than in older days, where you actually sat, your assistant sat in dailies and took notes for you, heard what you, the director, said to you, what you said to the director, sat in the room with you when you edited things and you would bounce things off of your assistants and they would learn how you did things and they would sit in there and take notes when the director said things to do things. So there was that whole business. And then, you know, you had the sitting with dailies in the old days with directors and that doesn't happen so I'm not sure how that communication happens because after as the digital age progressed and I worked in you know digitally with those kinds of lacks of as I see them in my old way of looking at the world I happen to have worked with the same directors several times and so it was the shorthand was there I knew what they liked they knew what I did there was a mutual trust so that was good but to develop that now, I think, is, is more difficult. And sometimes it doesn't happen. As, I don't know how it happens, to tell you the truth. It doesn't come way, in a way that I'm used to. It comes in some other way. Maybe just uh, developing friendship, pseudo-friendship. I mean, some directors I like, but I wouldn't have home for dinner. Or, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Some people I'm friends with, like all people. Now, that brings up my other question, which is when you're watching your rushes, what do you look for? in the rushes, whether it be from the actors or from the footage itself? First reactions to the material uh, as an audience. I'm also, of course, looking to make sure, every, and everybody's looking for the technical aspects of it. Is, uh, is it in focus and they have flaring errors and continuity, that kind of stuff. But I'm looking for initial reactions that I try and remember when I'm doing the editing the scenes and I've seen them 50 times, I have to go back to my initial reactions of daily of, oh, yeah, that was the one that made me laugh. Oh, yeah, that's the one that made me cry. Oh, yeah, that's the one when we were in the room and everybody went, oh, when that happened. And so that kind of stuff you bring back into your, you know, into your editing room and you translate it into choices that you make. Directors will, some directors will tell you they want this take and that take and the other take. I've been lucky not to have to work with directors who were so micromanaging. They were trusting and they understood that an editor's cut, a first cut, is sort of like, let's give this person a chance to work and do the things that we hired them, him or her for. They have abilities and skills and they have interpretations of things that I can't see because I've been too close as a director, say. And I, and if they trust you, you they realize you're trying to deliver their vision. That's what I'm always trying to do is deliver the director's vision. Maybe not exactly the way he says, because oftentimes a director will tell me, I really like that take, but it doesn't work when you put it together with the one in front of it and the one behind it. So you just use what you have to to make it work. And sometimes directors will say, well, let me see all the takes, and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I see why you chose that. Or occasionally they will say, no, no, let's, let's go back to the other one. And that's, you know, that's great. I worked with Emil Ardolino, who uh, was a 
a really a nice, nice man that I enjoyed working with. Unfortunately, he died before we could do too many movies. But he was kind of put my foot in my mouth once. We were working, and, and he was coming into the cutting room to begin working as director, editor stuff on, the, on his cut. And we were just running through the takes, and I said, I said, Emil, why do you always print three or four takes? And he said, well, because I'm looking for modulation. I'm not sure whether I'm in the cutting room, whether I want to go high, medium, or low, you know, whatever the, the reaction is, whether it's laughing or crying or whatever it is. And I felt like, boy, that was a stupid thing for an editor to say, that I wasn't paying that close attention to what he was doing. I wasn't studying the takes before he was in there with me. And I put my foot in my mouth. He didn't hold it against me, of course, but that's the kind of thing that, that you editors learn to look for. And that was a teaching moment for me to pay more attention to things as in the beginnings where I was, you know, for you were asking about watching dailies when I was watching dailies. And, and I, I, I pay attention to the modulations that were occurring in the performances of the printed takes. And that's, and that's one thing, though, is uh, with the digital age, as we were talking a few minutes ago about, you see so many directors with the camera, they have it set up, they have the digital camera all ready to go, and they just go, do another one, do another, you know, they're just doing take after take, but they're not giving us that, that modulation, that difference between take one and take four. Right, there, there's no difference in a lot of things, that are, or at least a discernible difference, or maybe not even, well, better said, a difference that makes a difference. I was going to ask you, and I'm not too sure if, if I've got this right, the Ashfield Film Festival, are you involved with that? Uh, yes, I was. I started that about five years ago. Would you like to tell me a bit about that and, oh, and sure. how that came to be? Uh-huh. Uh, when I moved to Asheville five and a half years ago, I got a call from some people who were they were on the cultural council here in, in Massachusetts. Every town and city has a cultural council, and there's a the budget from the state that hands uh, money to the cultural council to be handed out to artistic kinds of things within the town. And we get a small amount of money for our small town, you know, a few thousands of dollars, four or five thousand dollars to hand out to people who want to do poetry readings and that kind of stuff. Anyway, the woman who was the head of the Cultural Council had an idea that wouldn't it be nice to have a film festival in Asheville? And they knew that I had just moved here from Los Angeles and had worked in film, so they thought, wow, that must be a good match. Let's talk to him. So they asked if I wanted to join the council. I did. And they had this idea, so I just took it on. And we began to develop this idea of, of, of a film festival in Ashfield in honor of Cecil B. DeMille, who was born in Ashfield. And since he was born here, he only stayed three days before he left, so we decided it would be a short film festival. And we came up with the idea that it would be five minutes or less made in or about Ashfield. And hopefully to get people in the town interested in doing videos, because nobody uses film any longer, but we still call it a film festival, and to do something about their talent, about the, their their passions or whatever it is. And the first year we had uh, we had 12 entries and, you know, a few, you know, 190 people came to see them at the town hall. And second year got bigger, and, and uh, uh, the second year we won the, the Golden Something Award from the State Cultural Council for our for that project, which was funded through the Cultural Council. Then we dropped out of the Cultural Council funding because they don't like to fund things more than three, two or three times in a row. And we were doing well enough to be on our own, and we just 
went on to develop it and push it a little farther and change some categories and uh, we have the festival in September uh, third week weekend in September usually so that was my interview with Harry next week we start talking about back to the future and how he got involved with that series and his approach to editing it now he was involved with all three back to the futures so he's got a pretty good insight about the different storylines the issues they encountered things like that We're going to have a forward film review next week when Lauren's back with me. But in the meantime, please, please make sure to leave a comment on our podcast at the Apple page or on our apps at the Android or iPhone slash iPad page that you can download them from. Uh, If you have any questions, you can email me at info at AOTG.com. You can follow us on Twitter at ArtGuillotine or on Facebook, Facebook.com slash ArtGuillotine. I'm Gordon Raquel. I'd like to thank Harry Karamitis. I'd also like to thank Lauren Woodcock. Have a good week.